Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4085 of the Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world for the week beginning Monday the 29th of October 2018 with me, Andy Zaltzman. Hello, the 44-year-old, former 37-year-old, both formerly and currently from Britain. And when I say jump, you say why, and I say why not, and you say there's no real need, and I say fair point. As you were. I am, as is often the case in London, and joining me here, still hiding out in the most popular latitudinal hemisphere in the world, six and a half billion people can't be wrong. It's for the first time ever as an auntie, Alice Fraser. Hello! Yes, I'm an auntie now. Uh, my br- brother has had a child, and I am, oh, so happy. She's very cute, and um, I probably shouldn't talk about her too much because I haven't asked her permission yet. <laughs> Well, it's uh, I mean, very much the absolute high point of human existence, being a newborn baby. It, it never gets any better, if you're listening. Uh, and joining us from Mumbai, India, for the first time on a regular bugle, having done a live bugle and a chat in her flat, it is Aditi <laughs> Mittal. Hello. Hello, everyone. Uh, how, how's India? <laughs> Uh, you know, it's uh, it's crazy. It's chaotic. You remember the the hot mess I was telling you about last time? It's still here. It's yeah. still here. Nothing's changed. Right, okay. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is uh, Bugle 4085. Coincidentally, the number of legs that Donald Trump claimed to have when he went to a fancy dress party last week dressed as a very realistic centipede. Also, the current... Uh, also, 4085 is the current number of things Brexit was officially all about. Uh, these things that Brexit was all about range from immigration, self-determination and being allowed to buy wonky-shaped parsnips without being hauled before the European Court in Brussels on human rights abuse charges. Uh, ranging from those to uh, it being a protest against the look on an MP's face on the 22nd of June 2016, a punishment for a naughty grandchild drawing on that irreplaceable 1920s family sofa with an indelible marker pen. And, of course, it was all about stopping the Syrians from taking over Buckingham Palace. Uh, we are recording on the 26th of October 2018, making this the historic 157th anniversary of the Pony Express officially ceasing operations. Uh, The Pony Express uh, ran for only 18 months, and it was a transcontinental communication system uh, involving ponies stroke horses, which cuts the communication time between East Coast USA and West Coast USA down from 25 days to only 10 days by wow. using ponies in relays. Uh, it would cost you, in today's money, $130 to send half an ounce of mail. <laughs> so basically it would cost you 40 bucks to send your granny in California a postcard saying, have a nice time at Doris's house. I hope she doesn't cheat at Bridge again like last time. The Pony Express lasted only a year and a half. But surely now, 157 years on, it's time to ask, were we premature as a species in shutting down the Pony Express? <laughs> Because it turned out that ponies were slower than, A, electricity, uh, the transcontinental telegraph became operational in this week in the same year, in 1861, and also slower than subsequently trains and aeroplanes. Because with today's technology, you can have a horse verbally neigh your message to someone on the other side of the world, (laughs) not just America, on a video link. And, furthermore, horses could physically transport packages from New York City to San Francisco in under an hour if you made a special magnetic levitation horse tube. (laughs) The technology is there. Bring back the Pony Express. If the Bugle has any legacy, which is very, very doubtful, 
I do hope it is the resurrection of the Pony Express as a maglev <laughs> donkey tube. Also on this day, exactly 100, 100 years ago, 1918, Stonehenge was given to the British nation by its then-owner, Cecil Chubb. Uh, so it became publicly owned, and, and look at it. It's typical of what happens when you nationalise something. It's an absolute f***ing mess. It's in a serious state of disrepair. doesn't work anymore. As you'd know if you've ever tried to use it as a henge, uh, it has a leaky roof. I say privatise it. At least give it a lick of paint to make it look like it's up to date. Uh, Chubb had bought Stonehenge three years previously at an auction. Oh. I, mean, it, I mean, that's a risky thing to buy. Wouldn't you say it's an auction? As a, as a thing at an auction? I mean, why risky? Well, just because I've bought quite a lot of weird <laughs> stuff at auctions <laughs> and getting home and explaining it. Oh, explaining thing. it to your family. Yeah. I mean, I assume Mrs Chubb responded, Cecil, it's lovely, but where the f*** are we going to put it? Can it no. not go in the living room, darling? No, Cecil, it cannot go in the living room. How will I be able to see the television if there's a f***ing henge in the way? <laughs> well, darling, if we line it up right, you'll at least be able to watch the TV through the henge at, on Midsummer Night. And there have been so many materials that have come after, you know. I mean, there's metal, there's uh, steel. I can't believe there haven't been henges in those materials and Mr. Chubb didn't go for those. Like, he went for, like, stone, really? Yeah, well, it was, I mean, it was absolutely the cutting edge of henge technology in those days. I don't think Mrs. Chubb would have been that angry at him, honestly. She has to have loved him to have taken his name. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, yeah, 100 years that Stonehenge has been owned by, by the British people, so it's, it's mine. It's partially ours, Chris. Chris is off mic today due to certain technical issues. Um, you know he meant to buy a table and chairs. That's what he went to buy at that auction. Well, that's always the way, isn't it? You come back with something else. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just that they put it right near the cashier, right? And you just can't, <laughs> I can't resist a henge. So Moorish. So uh, we, we each own 10.3 grams of Stonehenge. Oh. You know, you split it equally Can we go between... claim it? Well, you can't. That's a British henge. <laughs> yeah. Post-Brexit, we're back henges, in, right? <laughs> As always, some sections of the Bugle are going straight in the bin. It's Halloween next week. The festival commemorating when Jesus uh, turned a chicken into a skeleton just by cooking it and eating it. Uh, it was one of his less impressive miracles, but still he was only small. Uh, and in our Halloween section in the bin, we review the latest Halloween music, including uh, the recently released novelty Halloween single, I Wish It Could Be Halloween Every Day, a haunting reworking by the 1970s glam rockers Wizard of their 1973 hit, I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day. Very... Very frightening. Uh, and various Halloween hymns that are, are doing the rounds at this very sacred Christian festival, including, O Jesus, give us thine godly treat, for naught shall the devil cast his trick. <laughs> o Lord, carve me a holy pumpkin and light me thine candle within. <laughs> and envelop my soul, O Lord, in the novelty fake spider's web of thine perfect love. <laughs> uh, we give you advice on Halloween costumes. We helped you to choose the most terrifying costume that you can dress in for Halloween this year including how to make a costume of a UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report, <laughs> or a costume of the future in general, or even a costume representing the declining popularity of Test Match Cricket. We advise you also on cheap and easy Halloween uh, for parents, save money, but still terrify your children. Don't waste money on fancy dress costumes, scary props and everything. Simply leave the radio on with a news bulletin <laughs> running while your children are trying to get to sleep. That just scare the little bastard shitless. And... Um, the, uh, it's, it's falling on the 31st of October this year, Halloween, uh, but rumours are suggesting that the International Society for <laughs> Commercially Driven Pseudo-Festivals could soon announce that it will put the date of Halloween up for auction <laughs> so that other days and months of the year could seek to muscle in on the mo monopoly uh, held by the 31st of October and its uh, American counterpart, October the 31st, 
uh, the uh, chairman <laughs> of the organisation, Carberry Balfork, said we've had bids table from the 5th of October, the 17th of August, the 6th of January, and of course the 31st of October's big, big rival, the 1st of November. We could even look at splitting Halloween into 25-minute chunks to be spread throughout the year, whatever works best <laughs> for the shareholders. That section, in the bin. I mean, Andy, the thing about Halloween costumes is the, the common thread, particularly for women's costumes, is no matter what the costume is, it has to be sexy. You've got sexy bus driver, you've got sexy Donald Trump, you've got sexy shark, you've got sexy vampire, which means the thing that people generally in common seem to find the scariest is uh, young women's sexual empowerment. Right. Well, it is absolutely <laughs> terrifying. terrifying. You know, I, I, I have to admit, uh, I just, I got to know about Halloween only like about five, six years ago. So I'm still relatively new to the concept. Um, but we've sort of had a little bit of a leakage of Halloween uh, parties happening in the upper eclairons of Indian society. And uh, let me tell you, as like I, I was, I was behind the car where a guy dressed as a mummy got stopped for drunk driving. And you don't understand... How terrified every cop, every <laughs> cop was the moment this guy came out to do his breathalyzer test. They just let him go. <laughs> they were like, he's, he's, he's too old and too dead. Top story this week. Smiling is to be banned <laughs> by in Indian airports for Indian airport police. But could this be the start of the end of the smile for humanity. Um, India's Central Industrial Security Force uh, has instructed uh, airport police to smile less. Yes, they are in charge of aviation safety, the Central Industrial Security Force, and they've, uh, they've said that they're going to move from a, quote, broad smile system to a, quote, <laughs> sufficient smile system. <laughs> <laughs> sufficient smile. <laughs> the sufficient smile system has been perfected by women on public transport at night who need to hit the exact smile brightness that says, I'm smiling enough that you don't need to tell me to smile more without <laughs> without hitting the feel free to follow me off the train levels of smiling. Other people who are good at the sufficient smile level are Islamic men who have to smile enough that you don't worry that they're going to terrorist, but not so much that you assume they're about to terrorist. And uh, white men who have to smile enough that you don't think they're going to punch you, but not so much that you think they they're going to follow you off the train. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think I think the CISF has got something. Uh, they're onto something uh, because, um, I mean, terrorists don't cause terrorism. Uh, raging inequality, the growth of extremist thought through religions uh, doesn't cause terrorism. Uh, but the smiles, the smiles, I think we've managed to sort of get to the, the root of it all. It's these it's these people bearing their teeth uh, and making people comfortable. Oh, that's the problem. Is it, is it, and the well, the director general of the uh, the Central Industrial Security Force uh, <laughs> explained the the this the, the, this new ruling, saying we cannot be over friendly with passengers because one of the reasons cited as to why nine eleven happened was excessive <laughs> reliance on passenger friendly features. <laughs> what? Um, we would prefer some passenger unfriendly features like we should call it insecurity check <laughs> where every time you like go, go go with your luggage it's like hey you know uh, remember your mom loves your brother more than you and uh, you're kind of fat and just let you go through I think that's <laughs> I don't... I it, would, it would leave everyone... Like, no one wants to terrorise people after that shit. Now you're thinking about how your mother loves your brother more than you. Like Andy, I travel a lot. I travel a lot. Okay, and I have Columbus, never gone through an airport around. and thought, that was too nice an experience. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, I mean, would, would it have stopped 9-11? It seems to be <laughs> suggesting that had the terrorists turned off on that horrific day and found airports off looking grumpier, they'd have called the whole thing off. Oh, maybe it's just that the amount of resources that they needed to pour into the system to make people even smile a little bit were uh, being drawn away <laughs> from other important airport functions. You know, the thing is, as, as someone who's not been a terrorist so far... Uh, let me tell you that friendliness has not made me want to do it. Uh, so that that might be something that they want to consider. That when a guy smiled at me, I wasn't like, you know, I was a normal person before this, but let's blow this plane up. I never <laughs> thought of that. And, and here's my question, okay? My question is, uh, I don't know, but it worries me that this is the, the most sort of out there demonstration of the fact that airport security is nothing but theater. Like, you're like, oh, you know, take out your water bottle, take out your, you know, backpack, take out your shoes, because like a terrorist once carried stuff in his water bottle, in his backpack, in his shoes. But like terrorists aren't nostalgic. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> none of them are like, remember the shoe bombing? Let's do one of those again. So I, I just I just feel like this, this, the, the smile is sort of not the biggest problem. The, uh, the CISF have said they want their staff to be more vigilant than friendly, which is also coincidentally a phrase I always include in my online dating profile. <laughs> that's, uh, I know it's what I look for in a romantic partner, vigilance. Uh, don't, don't tell the wife. She doesn't know that I secretly pretend to have online dating profiles on this show. Heaven knows it. happen if she found out I did. <laughs> but it, it does raise an interesting question that just the whole concept of smiling in the world is there is there too much of it because it costs the global economy according to the world foundation for public grumpiness smiling costs the global economy 13.2 trillion dollars a year <laughs> in lost productivity i have the report here various excerpts from the report smiling can often lead to people wistfully thinking back to happy times in their life or thinking about something fun they've got planned for the weekend instead of, get it, get, instead of getting on with their job of being hard-working families. Also, the report says, biologically, smiling can not only reflect but also exacerbate feelings of contentment which dulls the edge of ambition and competitiveness needed in an ambitious, competitive economy. Moreover, concludes the report, if you look happy, research has proved that autocratic governments are less likely to sign multi-billion dollar arms sales contracts with you than if you look like you are the kind of cold-eyed, commercially-driven genocide tolerator they wish to associate with so <laughs> economically yeah good, smiling banning smiling could save the planet i mean i andy i never realized i had so much economic power i spend 90 percent of my time giggling <laughs> <laughs> makes me feel rich i'm rich <laughs> in uh, in america th this week there's been a lot of talk about the uh, excessive amount of uh, of anger uh, we've had the uh, the pipe bomb sent to targets ranging from Barack Obama to Hillary Clinton, uh, with a lot of people in between those. Mm. I mean, that's not a big range, but also a lot of other people. And a lot of, I mean, high-pitched responses you would expect. I mean, whoever did it <laughs> and whatever they did it, they managed to be both deeply sinister and, it must be said, spectacularly incompetent. So a true standard bearer <laughs> for these times. Donald Trump was so appalled by the pipe bombs that he retweeted Mike Pence's tweet about it. And that shows you <laughs> quite how bereft and grief-stricken he was by the assault on his pre precious nation's precious democracy, that he could not see through the tears in his eyes even to type anything into the presidential Twitter machine. A brutal tragedy. The lack of the tweet, not the pipe bombing. Yeah. I mean. Now, clearly America is a divided country. Divisions can be crowbarred open. 
over issues as minor, apparently minor, as what sauces you're allowed to put on a f***ing hot dog, uh, whether or not to use a designated hitter in baseball, and what it was that Abraham Lincoln kept under his hat. Was it a rabbit? Was it a teapot? Was it another smaller hat? Or was it a, or was it a ghost outfit, just in case? We will we will never know, but, but it, even this seems to... F- you would have thought it would have brought everyone and Donald Trump came out saying oh we must be unified as a nation and then within minutes was back riding on the rhinoceros of division galloping it <laughs> angrily into the paddling pool of civil discourse cranking it up and having a go at the press as sure as night follows day in, in other words with a short interval in which people mm-hmm. think it'll definitely be night time soon um, <laughs> it is, I mean, uh, is there nothing <laughs> that can happen without You'd think that pipe bombing your political opponents would be one of those things we could all agree on. But yes. As as being bad, obviously. I shouldn't need to say that bit, but <laughs> apparently I do. Uh, that was not the only thing on his uh, on his stroppy plate this week. I also had to take out some uh, some time from his busy schedule to claim that unknown Middle Easterners were mixed in amongst the caravan of refugees heading towards America from uh, Central America via Mexico in search of a better life in the grand tradition of the vast majority of people who now live in America. Uh, <laughs> Trump tweeted, um, criminals and unknown Middle Easterners are mixed in based on the evidence of there being no evidence that criminals and unknown Middle Easterners <laughs> were uh, mixed in. Criminals and unknown Middle Easterners, of course, uh, is another decent summary of the New Testament from my Jewish point of view. Um, Trump later admitted there was no proof of these claims. There's no proof of anything, but there could very well be. Now, now this, this is philosophically interesting. Didn't he mean there could very well be proof and it just hasn't been found yet? Or there could very well be these unknown Middle Easterners. If it's there could very well be proof, that is a fantastic legal precedent. Your Honour, there is no proof that the defendant committed this crime, but there could very well be if there was. Guy, that's good enough for me. Guilty. Guilty. If he meant there could very well be unknown Middle Easterners, um... Which uh, or Yumi's, as they're known, a uh, new <laughs> social group, Yumi's, makes it feel far more inclusive. For are we not all, at least in our Judeo-Christianico-Muslimical world, Yumi's in spirit, if not in reality? <laughs> or does he mean that there are people who do not yet know they're Middle Eastern, or people who will one day, after being kicked <laughs> out of the USA, find themselves in the Middle East and become Middle Easterners? I mean, are we not all, Alice and Aditi, potential unknown Middle Easterners. I mean, in some ways, yes, Andy, but you have to respect Trump for his willingness to back down uh, from his previous position. This is actually a much less racist position than the initial they are all rapists position. Right. Now it's all, it's all, ooh, we have no proof, and ooh, some of them are probably unknown Middle Easterners. So that you're, do you see this as a major step forward? In yeah, incredibly, so much more open-hearted. Oh, that's good to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think I mean, there's an argument, isn't there, that there should be an element of presidential privilege, that if an American president can issue pardons to the convicted guilty, surely, <laughs> logically, he should also be able to make up proof against the innocent. Uh, you can't argue with that, can you? I mean, you I won't argue with that, <laughs> but that's only because we're running out of studio time. <laughs> <laughs> Other Indian news now, and this is a spectacular story for fans of Indian corruption, a, a topic that we've 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 discussed considerably since uh, well Anuvab and Aditi started doing the the bugle. The director of the Central Bureau of Investigation in India is investigating the his number two, the special director of the Central Bureau of Investigation, <laughs> who in turn has accused the director of the Central Bureau of Investigation 
of corruption. Whoa. Aditi, can you explain further? Now, uh, the, the guy that is currently the special director of the CBI, uh, who was a very, uh, very big uh, sort of... Uh, one of the favourites of our current Prime Minister, uh, has been accused of bribery and corruption by a businessman. Um, so the director of the CBI decided to launch an investigation against the special director of the CBI. And then the special director of the CBI counter-accused the director of the CBI for the same thing. And so right now, in the CBI, <laughs> it's... Corruption charges for you, corruption charges for you, corruption charges for everybody, as Oprah would say. <laughs> and what this has ended in, what this has ended in is that the CBI has raided the CBI. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. You know, it's, it's, it's like a classic spy versus spy situation where like they're just pointing <laughs> fingers at each other. Someone in the room has farted. But nobody's owning up to where the smell has come from. That's what's happening with the CBI right now. <laughs> Very vividly put. Um, I mean, is this really the, the logical end point of Indian corruption when the head of the Central Bureau of Investigation and his de essentially his deputy are investigating and accusing each other of corruption? There is really nowhere left for it to go from here. <laughs> And, and I mean, that's what I think one of, our, one of my favorite things about this, like our new India. My favorite thing is that we are sort of all about following procedures and about, you know, getting the stuff done as opposed to like, I mean, two dudes accusing each other of uh, of corruption uh, at in one of the most powerful institutions in the country uh, is hilarious because um, all the procedures and everything is followed to the T all the time. But there seems to be no justice that comes out of it. And I think that's that's what it is, is that we will follow every single procedure to the T. Uh, but if it, if it means actual results, don't bother us. Corruption charges for everybody. <laughs> I mean, is this like, uh, for example, prohibition in America where everyone's doing it anyway? Maybe we need to start to having a serious conversation about the legalization and regulation of corruption. <laughs> You know, that's the thing. And so now, and, and so many businesses, uh, like, I mean, India's been dying to become the sort of new uh, land of business. And so we keep sort of uh, putting ourselves on, on top of charts and lists of ease of doing business. And uh, one of the things that has come out very clearly is that now business people are being told how much money to factor in to give away for bribe. <laughs> so... If you if you like want to come in with an investment of say 100 crores, you are told straight up that you just put aside 50 crores because there's going to be like palms to grease in the middle. I mean, there's so many greasy palms in India. It's a wonder that anyone can pick anything up. <laughs> as as uh, as uh, even uh, Andy said last time, it's just the fact that anything gets done is pretty crazy. And one of the things that has come out really sort of uh, this thing is that this is less about uh, the CBI as an institution, but it's about the rule of law and uh, that sort of collective um, confidence in fairness and justice uh, is what I think has taken a massive beating right now when we are watching our top institutions like point fingers at each other like they are five years old. <laughs>
In Catholicism and computer games news now, the Pope has recommended a new game which promises to get young people to go to church. It's based on Pokemon-like gamification, and it's called Follow JC Go. And... uh, (laughs) It, it, what happens is the players, instead of hunting for Pokemons, they s- for hunt for religious figures and they visit churches. Uh, they they collect saints. So, for example, <laughs> We've all done it. you know, you get a plain St. Francis of Assisi and then you evolve him to become a St. Francis of Assisi and finally a St. Francis of Assisi. Or <laughs> you get a St. Nicholas and then you evolve him into Santa Claus and then he eventually evolves to become your dad. <laughs> And then you fight them against each other and eventually they join powers like Megazord from the Power Rangers and then the rapture happens and then they, I don't know, the rapture opens the door to heaven with its tiny arms, what a clever girl, and then you win the game and become an atheist? I don't know, Andy. I don't know anything about Pokemon and I don't know anything about (laughs) Catholicism, but uh, what it does sound is super dorky. (laughs) That's right. I mean, what religion... Needs one of the developers of the game said, everything today, language and relations among young people go through smartphones. And when you think about it, smartphones are essentially just very, very efficient pocket gods. (laughs) They are omnipresent. They are omniscient about your movements, your temptations, basically your thoughts. They demand money if you want the best service, very much like religion (laughs) has through history. And they even sometimes send you on unnecessarily long journeys in bizarre directions, taking way more times than they should. It's uncanny. Uncanny, the similarities between these technologies. Yeah, I'm developing a Candy Crush-like app that prints, like doles out Hail Marys. <laughs> Got to line up all the Hail Marys and then your sins disappear. First of all, uh, I can't believe they didn't call it Popimon uh, because that would be appropriate. And, um, you know, in fact, I, I th- the, the sort of combination of technology with evangelization um, is what many religions are going for these days. Uh, in India also, we have something called the Siddhi Vinaya cap. Where uh, every time there is a prayer service at a temple, they live stream it on this app. I mean, I th- I think it's great. I think the 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 combination of technology uh, the combination of technology with evangelization is pretty great. Um, but what throws me off is when sometimes you see a guy who'll be like, "Yeah, man, look at my app. Like I'm live streaming Jesus out here." Uh, and then when he closes his like home phone or the when he go to his home page or whatever, it's right next to his Pornhub app. I'm like, you know, at least keep the two apps separately. I understand that both are a way to God, one coming, one going. But that is not appropriate. Like, don't do this. Um, And the thing that worries me the most about the combination of evangelization with technology is the fact that um, what happens when your phone battery dies? (laughs) The the Pope has, I mean, described the internet as a gift, a gift from God. Um... I don't know if Tim Berners-Lee is feeling good about that. I mean, these kind of comments do go to someone's head. Uh, but the Pope was also warned against uh, against technological overreach. He said in Ireland earlier earlier this year, it is important that the media never become a threat to the real web of flesh and blood relationships by imprisoning us in a virtual reality. But surely, virtual reality is a fuck of a lot preferable to <laughs> what is currently passing for real reality. Oh, yeah. Also, it's not the whole history of religion is essentially <laughs> imprisoning people in a virtual reality, isn't it? Don't <laughs> worry, um, oh, I'm already going to hell. In mm-hmm. other computer games news now, um, Red Dead Redemption has been released. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I knew you'd been following this with avid attention, Andy. Yeah, I mean, yeah I'm absolutely on the, 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 the... I have my finger on the pulse of these things. Uh, it's, is, oh, it's not a pulse, it's a little button control, oh, right, like okay. a joystick. 
<laughs> oh, they have pulses now, I think. Don't they? <laughs> I'm sure you can get some kind of console with a pulse, make it feel more real. Uh, the This uh, computer game is, uh, by all accounts, a staggering recreation of 19th century America. And if Donald Trump wins a second term <laughs> and unleashes his full, full vision for the USA... It uh, may well turn out to be a staggering recreation of mid-21st century America <laughs> as well. Uh, I had a go at it uh, yesterday, Alice. It's amazingly realistic. My first go, I died of cholera after two days. <laughs> My second go, I got kicked by a horse. My third go, I was trapped in a loveless marriage and suffocated by the social expectations of an oppressively Christian society. <laughs> On my uh, fourth go, I had to earn some money in the game so I got a job in a textile mill then spent the rest of my life there before dying young of a respiratory illness I haven't quite mastered it yet I did manage to cheat mode the game this is very exciting and uh, I got a boat to England <laughs> I attended the 1882 oval test match between England and Australia uh, I poisoned the star Australian cricketer uh, the star fast bowler Fred the Demon Spofforth who of course was uh, yeah, as you as an Australian, you would know, Obviously. 14 wickets in that, that famous uh, test match in 1882. And I turned a harrowing English <laughs> defeat into a glorious, comfortable victory by eight wickets. So uh, it's amazing what you can do with technology. In crotch rot news now. <laughs> what news now? Crotch rot. Crotch Yes. Uh, yeah, uh, according to Public Health England, every four minutes a young... Oh, sorry, crotch rot. <laughs> Look, you said right. you said think of a snappy headline. I thought of a snappy headline. That's, I mean, that, that that's my password to all my bank accounts. <laughs> um, in in sexually transmitted infection news now. Better. According to Public Health England, every four minutes a young Brit is diagnosed with a sexually transmitted infection, which has got to be stressful for that one young Brit. Waka waka. <laughs> but seriously, chlamydia. Um, <laughs> syphilis is up by 20%, gonorrhea is up by 22%, and while uh, AIDS is no longer the death sentence it once was, STIs remain an incredibly unpleasant thing with a gross long-term effect, even for people with access to Tinder. And it's weird that they're being recklessly negligent about whether they're shoving one up their hole. Um, <laughs> The figures have come out as part of a social media sexual health campaign, which highlights the importance of you know using protection to prevent a range of long-term health conditions, such as infertility, arthritis, and importantly, Andy, lumpy flaps, itchy wet dongles, <laughs> and spiky peepees. Um, lumpy flaps, actually, he played uh, for Gloucestershire <laughs> in the uh, 1880s, I think, the county championship. Yeah. Uh, they've, they've even recruited Sam Thompson, star of Made in Chelsea, um, and they've recruited him as part of this campaign to visit bars and clubs to talk to young people about the importance of safe sex, which, if you don't know that he's doing that as part of a campaign, he's going to give drunk teenagers some horrifying ideas about older dudes in bars, which, to be fair, serves the same noble end. <laughs> but, so this in the 15 to 24 age group... Um, yeah, one diagnosed every four minutes, which does suggest we are indulging ourselves irresponsibly with no regard to the consequences uh, and, indeed, no regard for our long-term future, <laughs> despite having been repeatedly <laughs> warned about it um, and being offered alternative courses of action. Welcome to modern Britain. This is the way we f***ing <laughs> roll. One, uh, an STI is diagnosed in every young Brit every four minutes, uh, which I think, one, is either an incentive to not ever have sex again or two, to completely stop going to the doctor because if they don't diagnose you, you will never know. <laughs> um, and, and and I guess the, the problem that is happening is that now uh, the the... Uh, infections uh, are becoming drug resistant. Uh, and so recently they uncovered a case of what is called super gonorrhea, uh, which I feel like makes it actually sound like something people would want to have. <laughs> <laughs> 
in uh, other um, oh. Brit British news, there's been a, a pitch battle, Alice, between uh, Piers Morgan, the... Uh, fictitious former newspaper editor mm -hmm. and James Bond, the equally fictitious um, spy. Yes, it's man scandal news, not to be confused with man sandal news. Uh, man sandals are just sandals that men wear and are absent any sort of scandal unless you're wearing them in socks, in which case, why, you've just sort of ad hoc invented shoes. Anyway, uh, in man scandal news, Piers Morgan has incited the rage of the nation by impugning the masculinity of Daniel Craig for carrying his own baby while simultaneously being a man at the same time as having played James Bond in some movies in the past. Uh, he posted a paparazzi pic of Daniel Craig with the comment, Oh, 007, not you as well. Uh, hashtag papoose, hashtag emasculated bond, um, <laughs> implying that carrying your own baby in a baby carrier is a job that should only be performed by lady dads, a.k.a. mums, and not <laughs> laddie daddies, a.k.a. man mums. <laughs> but how is carrying a baby emasculating? I don't understand this. When did... Having your, like, somebody who squeezed out a child from her body for you and you having to hold it to your chest be, like, the most emasculating thing you've ever done. And what is Piers Morgan's definition of masculinity? Um, just, I don't know, kicking children? <laughs> Real men carry their babies by the scruff of their necks like wolves and refuse all technologies of convenience. <laughs> From the wussy toilet paper to the flaccidly effet running water. <laughs> It's also worth mentioning, as you said, that Daniel Craig is an actor, not actually 007, and it's impossible for him to be 007 because James Bond is A, fictional, and B, a horrible asshole, and C, cannot have children because all the women he sleeps with either die or betray him, and also they are also all fictional. I understand it's hard for Piers Morgan to understand that distinction because he is also a fictional asshole born of a man who looked in the mirror once and thought, oh, God, I'm a sleazy jerk. How can I monetize this? And also because all the women he sleeps with are also all fictional. Your emails now, and this came from Andy Rocher in uh, in Florida uh, on the subject, Marine Pilot Traced Phallic Shape in the Sky. <laughs> and this is one of the... I mean, it's not a unique story, this, but a, a US Marine pilot uh, flew in the shape of the male genitalia <laughs> in, in, in the sky. Um, and uh, Andy says, as a long-time bugler, I know this story will pique your interest. Um... <laughs> And, I mean, I question, the Bugle has been fearless in chronicling the heroic efforts of human beings to draw willies in places where there were previously none. <laughs> and, I mean, the sky is clearly an open canvas. I mean, yeah, I'm surprised it hasn't been done more and more often, uh, given the relatively... I mean, you can get sky riding on Groupon these days. I, I, I want to see more, not just penises, but... but Flaps and bits of all kinds <laughs> across the spectrum of gender. I mean, we will know we have reached true equality when someone draws a micro penis in the clouds. That's uh, <laughs> something towards which we can all raise yes. our faces to the sky and think, well, at least there's a penis in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, that was a country song, wasn't it? A great big <laughs> penis in the sky. Well, here's a, here's a quick tip uh, if you can't afford a skywriter um, constellations are what you make of them. Yes. Mm. Well, we did discuss this on the Bugle quite, quite recently. Uh, I'm everything sure there looks, is a... Everything looks like a penis yeah. if you look at it long enough and in the wrong then, way. There must be a consolation that could be, could be called Henry VIII's cock and balls. <laughs> Even if it's just three stars in vague proximity. 
This email is from Christopher White, who says, Dear Andy and dot 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 Nish, Alice, let's go with Nish. <laughs> f*** you, Andy. Uh, no, f*** you, Chris. <laughs> Fuck you. Different Chris. Different Chris. <laughs> Different Chris. You're off the hook, mate. Um, <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> Uh, as you are probably aware, someone, not naming names Chris, f***ed up royally with the play speed of episode 4083 on SoundCloud and as as it appeared to play at one and a half speed, this... Yeah, yeah c- c- let's just... I mean, Chris, I mean, you are clearly a master of the uh, audial arts. What, 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 what happened with that? Right, can I just say, for the record, yeah. the wrong file was up for about four and a half minutes, yeah? <laughs> and yet, somehow... Everyone who got, that 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 is the version that got into everyone's things. It was four and a half minutes. It was playing at one point two four speed because that's what I was <laughs> listening back to the last bit of cock and bollocks that you all were talking about. And I thought I'll just speed up my final thing. <laughs> listen, something goes wrong. I notice immediately and change it, and it f***ed my Twitter and f***ed my weekend. And yeah, I mean, that's what I have to say on it. Extremely stressful. It was the end to what had been a very stressful week. Bear in mind that that episode started with me f***ing my life up in an airport in Manchester <laughs> and and ended with that bullshit. I mean, yeah. Who sent this email? Uh, this guy is called Chris, so you've you, only got Chris. yourself to blame. Um, no, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible thing because I already speak at about one and a half speed. Um, <laughs> this unintentional, or not, returning to the email, this unintentional or not was a stroke of purest genius. So there you go, there you, you fucked go. him too early, Chris. <laughs> um, firstly, it made everyone sound like they'd inhaled enough helium to float a blue whale to the moon, uh, thereby heightening the comedy, but it also made Chris's anecdote about his daughter's passport all the more ironic as he actually sounded like a four-year-old girl. Uh, it also helped to condense the issue, meaning I could fit my intake of the bugle more easily into my schedule, like a super-concentrated truth bomb. I recommend all future episodes be made available to buglers at that speed to increase their bugle life balance. Yours, Chris. Well, it seems really only appropriate now that to, to mark this, we should uh, rebroadcast the entire Bugle catalogue. <laughs> At 1.24 speed. At, well, At 1 well, million point yeah, two four speed. 1.24 million speed. Can you just do that, Chris? Done. Thanks very much. <laughs> sounded awesome. There's some great bits in there, I'd forgotten. Oh, glorious. Yeah. I think, au contraire, we should do everything at half speed from now on. <laughs> Release it and take over people's lives by making them listen to the bugle for longer. Uh, do keep your emails coming in to... Oh, God. Do keep... <laughs> <laughs> do keep your emails coming in to hellobuglers at thebuglepodcast.com. Uh, well, that concludes uh, this week's technologically challenged bugle. Uh, I do hope uh, you've enjoyed it, <laughs> Chris. Good luck with the edit. Um, <laughs> it's uh, Alice. Thanks very much for. Oh, thank you so much for this. having me, Andy. It's glorious as ever. Um, do you have any uh, shows you'd like to alert our listeners to? Uh, I I probably do. I'm doing Old Rope. I think this Monday I'm emceeing in London, and also my trilogy is available online. And also I do a podcast called Tea with Alice. Also have a new niece. Also I'll be doing your Soho show. Oh yes, yeah. Oh, good good point. Yeah, let's plug the <laughs> Soho show. 18th of December until the 5th or 6th of January. Let's ballpark it. Um, mm. And it is the uh, the third instalment of uh, my certifiable history series this this year reflecting on the year 2018 it's going to be glorious it's going to be absolutely sensational the definitive unarguable history of this crazy crazy year last year i had three hats i'm hoping for more this year (laughs) if i had a pound for uh, every time i've heard someone say that sentence (laughs) um 
well, I would like to say thank you to Aditi, but she's no longer on the other end of the line. So, well, thanks, Aditi, if you're listening to this. Thank you very much for your contribution. Thank you for listening, Buglers. Until next time, goodbye. Bye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now.